Hey everyone, welcome to the 1099 for E3 week. Uh, right now you're hearing just me. Uh, pretty soon you'll be hearing my regular intro with uh, my guest this week, which is David S. Gallant, who is the creator of I Get This Call Every Day. Um, and that was a really interesting, uh, fun interview to two. But before that, I mean, it's hard to ignore that, like I said, it is E3 week. Uh, and I just want to do a little intro on E3 before we get the ball rolling. Um, I did not get a crew together for an E3 preview show. I, I feel like there are a lot of those out there and, um, I might do kind of a post game wrap up in a way where we get some people who were there who I feel like would be interesting to talk to. Um, so the, the main thing I kind of wanted to use this little slot at the start of the podcast for is to talk about Tan Gentleman's game. And I don't mean this to sound like an ad or anything for the job I do, but it, it's exciting for me. So I, I, I want to talk about it. I hope that if you guys listen to this podcast, you kind of care about what I do at this point. I feel like you don't have to after listening to me for this many hours, but, uh, yeah, I, as you guys know, I, I left, uh, freelancing at, GameSpot and IGN to help a studio make a game, and it's 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 a studio that I really truly believe in, and it's crazy to actually be talking about it now, because as of this podcast's release, we will have a trailer and a demo. That there'll be a demo on the show floor. So this is not I'm not breaking news. This stuff just happened. Uh, it's weird. I'm recording this before, but this stuff just happened, uh, and that stuff is. The game is called Here They Lie um, by Tan Gentleman. It's our first game, and our publisher is Sony. Uh, that's something that I've signed a lot of contracts saying I can't say. It's insane. It's so cool. Uh, I tell tell twelve year old Jos- Josiah that you know he would be working with a studio making a game that is being published by Sony, and he would not believe you. So, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, there should be a trailer. It's, it was, um, announced on Jeff Keighley's YouTube live stream as well as Spike TV. So, yeah, that part is, again, just super insane. Uh, here they lie. It is, uh, a PlayStation exclusive. It is, it has VR support. It'll be on the show floor. If you're there right now and you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, and you'll be able to play the game in VR. Um, and yeah, honestly, I, the trailer that you'll see is the first time I've seen it too. There is, it's, it's just very, it's a lockdown information, as you'd guess. This stuff is very, you, you don't want it leaked. Everything gets leaked, and the way it gets leaked, people send it around. And, uh, Tan Gentlemen were, the people who are in California were not allowed to send it out to anyone which I'm totally fine with. I respect them. Uh, the crazy thing is, like, I haven't really seen much of the game, so it's I'm it's a Sunday as I'm recording this, and I'm giddy to see it. I'm giddy to see the hard work these guys do and did. And uh, for me, when I was going for this job, when I thought it was a possibility, it was never, hey, I need to see this game first before I decide to put my name on it or I need before I decide to be a part of this team. Uh, when I first met Corey Davis uh, back in... Jeez. E3 2013. Um, I had been friends with them before. I had reviewed Spec Off the Line and we had, he had helped me with a feature. I interviewed him. And uh, he was one of those people who just reminded me why I like covering this industry, why I like telling stories, because just the level of passion that's there, uh, just how excited he gets and how much he throws himself into it. And what I've learned as I've interviewed a lot of these people, a lot of my coworkers at Tan Gentleman, is just how much they all share that. It's it's a group that's super diverse in terms of what they're into and their life stories, but somehow they've all kind of come together to form a strangely cohesive thing that shouldn't be cohesive when you have people who are coming from the jungles of Colombia who were, you know, running comic book stores back when they were kids to another person who has uh, a koi pond and keeps bees and was in a band and just the story is that it's just so much fun to tell and uh, I honestly I remember really feeling burnt out after freelancing for so long and it just became so routine um, I would say that I've never lost my passion for this but there was definitely a stretch where I struggled I wasn't as enthusiastic about anything I was doing as I used to be I 
I always consider myself, um, I'm not the most talented person in the world, and I'm always the first to admit that. Uh, I'm not just genius. I'm not naturally, you know, inherently smart. You meet those people who are just like smarter than you, and it can be frustrating. But for me, I, I always saw myself as no one can outwork me. Um, and no one's as passionate about this stuff as I am. And that's kind of this, this thing I always held close to me. And I just remember I was hitting a skid where I was losing a lot of that. And when you lose what you kind of define yourself as, you have these moments where you're like, Oh, God damn it. Who am I? Which, <laughs> not to get all existential and deep here, but that's, it, I was going through a stretch like that. It was after college. It was a bit aimless. And I would never say that a job got me uh, back on track because I think that's, a little bit silly to look at it that way. If you're defining yourself by the work you're doing instead of other things, that's maybe a little bit shallow. But I can tell you that when I was um, interviewing different members of the team for different articles, I started to write for them. Uh, they're on West Coast time. So uh, it was Steven Ratter, who is a really, really fantastic dude who I work with. And uh, I remember... I remember that uh, I was like, okay, so I need to have about a 30-minute interview with you to get some quotes for this feature. And for him, I think it was around 9 o'clock. This is a Friday night. I didn't go out with anyone. I stayed in. So it's about 9 o'clock when he got back and he's ready to talk. So it was midnight for me. And I was up until 1.30 just talking to him. And I wanted to go longer, but didn't want to take him away from his, you know, his wife and his family. But just hearing how he talked about this project and how he talked about his just game design philosophies it was one of those things that really reminds you like oh that's why i love this that's why i poured so much of myself into this industry and games and writing and that's why uh i am should be so excited to be involved in this and again it's 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 bizarre to uh for me to just kind of see this stuff coming out with this trailer and the gameplay now it's it's cool to kind of see it with all of you guys at the same time. Of course, I've you know I've been I've discussed a lot of stuff with them, and I know parts about it and its its roots and what it's going for. But there was always, of course, there's there's a little bit of a lockdown information, so uh, it's 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 super exciting, and I am also uh, happy to be you know on a team that's going deep into VR and uh, go using that as uh, something to enhance that experience. So uh, here they lie name of the game i'll keep saying it i really like it yeah that's we're we have a game we have a name there's a trailer there's uh, there's gameplay on the show floor this has been a long time coming uh, i think that first article i wrote about dan gentleman was at least two years old um so here we go it's it's crazy it's it's so crazy i was almost at e3 uh to kind of be around the booth to talk about the game uh, I had, but we, we, it was, it was honestly, there was just discussion about like, is it going to show up? We're not sure yet. And, you know, it's hard to fly me from Florida to California on a, maybe, maybe this will be here. Uh, I was also in Vegas, just got back from Vegas for another business trip. So I'd have to be gone for two weeks that way. And it was just a lot to swing, but I'm, I'm really happy to see it from a distance and, uh, see people's reactions. If, again, if you're there and you're playing it, I would love to hear what you think. Um, I really, really believe in these guys, and I'm super fortunate to be a part of such a veteran uh, group that's really going for something here. So, here they lie, Tan Gentleman's first game. Uh, information about release dates and all that stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not gonna say any more than I have to for anything. I'm, you know, signed stuff, but that is happening. Um, and yeah, E3 is here, and I, I think if you guys know me, you, you see me, I. I don't try to be overly negative, but there's a lot of times where there's some snark, there's some me wanting games to be better and game reviews to be better and stuff like that, but I still can't deny that there's something just special about E3. There's something that uh, I... I it, it's that you get that Christmas for gamers thing, but I mean, it, it, it's kind of accurate. It's I'm excited for Microsoft's press conference, which when this goes up, the press conference probably already happened. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Sony has going on. Uh, even though I now technically work for Sony in a sense, in a sense, I guess I, I work for 10 gentlemen who works for Sony. It's weird. It's, I haven't fully wrapped my head around it, but I'm excited to see what they're doing. I, I don't know. I have no inside scoops on that. I'm excited to just see it, it, it's going to be a weird E3, isn't it? With 
the new PS4 SKU not being there, but it's confirmed. Will Microsoft show an Xbox One Slim and then say, and next year we're also doing our own thing? The NX not even being there. There's there's three consoles chilling out there that are not going to make appearances at E3. It's going to just be like this weird three large elephants in the room where every time you're showing off a game, people are going to be like, all right, but like, is there going to be a better looking version on the new consoles? Are they showing the new console look and not saying it? Uh, how is this going to work moving forward? That's just the the idea of all that stuff is super strange to me. This could be a, this could also be a turning point for E3. Look how many people have pulled out, how many publishers, how many developers. It's not as big. It's not as big. It's still pulling massive numbers on Twitch. I was just watching the EA press conference, and you're at like eight hundred thousand or close to a million. That's a lot of people. Do we need E3 for that? Can individual Publishers have their own shows throughout the year. Can EA just be like, hey, we're going to do a press conference directly to you guys on Twitch or Spike TV, whatever you want to do. And if we have big games, we'll show them. Like Activision could maybe do that. Uh, Bethesda, they're having a press conference, but does it have to be at E3? What's, what's E3 going to be? There's a lot of questions just about the state of what E3 is. And it's there's also just so many questions about the state of consoles. Are we going to see iterations similar to phones where there's these, you know, the PS4 and the 4S similar to an iPhone 4 and a 4S kind of thing? Uh, it's, again, there's a lot of unanswered questions that it seems like they're going to remain unanswered throughout the show, which is a bizarre choice. Uh, why would anyone buy a video game console right now when there's so many new ones coming out that might not, of course, make the old ones obsolete, but you're going to be like, well, I want that new one. Are games going to chug now on older consoles because people are trying to hit the benchmarks of the new ones? I don't feel like we're going to see a lot of surprises in terms of games. I would love to be proved wrong. It feels almost like a gap year, but uh, I hope we see surprises. I hope there's a lot of stuff happening. I PlayStation's going to have a big big shoes to fill. Last, last D3 was that insane, we're going to announce everything you've ever wanted, even though it's way off in the distant future. So a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but smoke and mirrors that got everyone just cheering. Again, Nintendo's, I'm excited to see the new Zelda. I'm excited to, after this, hear more about NX, because maybe I'll buy a Nintendo console for the first time in a while. It's just, it's going to be an interesting show. There's a lot out there. I, I want to play The Last Guardian. Is that actually going to come out? Is that going to get delayed again? Games have been really fun this year, guys. There's been a lot of good stuff coming out. I still can't stop play, playing Overwatch. Loved Uncharted, even if I have issues with it. There's so much that's happening, and I would love for the the end of the year to close out really well too, and like, just I'm excited to watch all of E3. I'm excited to be yeah, watching these press conferences. I'm actually taking tomorrow off because I get a free day off because of the conference I was at, and it's perfect timing. So I get to just sit on my ass and watch press conferences all day and freak out a bit as here they lie, they're shown. Uh, so yeah, I am looking forward to saying more about that game as I am given the green light. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that all over my social media. Um, anyone who can share it too, thank you so much. Uh, it should show up on the official PlayStation account, I would think. We're also going to have a blog post, not written by me, but written by Corey Davis, uh, about the game on the PlayStation blog. And yeah, the ball's rolling, guys. I barely know what to say. I... I would never take ownership of a lot of this game. Again, I've, I've come on later. Uh, I am writing stories about these people and helping with social media and stuff. I am not developing it. Uh, I'm a part of this team, but it's those guys who are really putting in the long hours that are responsible for how cool I know this thing is going to look. Uh, so, so yeah, that's kind of a quick E3 segment I just wanted to talk about uh, mainly. You know, the fact that we have a game now, it's just crazy. I, I, I'm looking forward to, again, talking more about it on the 1099 in the future, any updates. And uh, I so appreciate all your guys' support. It's been really cool to see throughout this transition from games writing to you know, writing for a game. And yeah, video games, E3. So what you're going about to hear now after probably a little cool music thing that I'll put together, which will probably be shitty, it's not that cool. Uh, is going to be uh, David S. Gallant, who made I Get This Call Every Day. And it's a cool indie game, and I think it's a really interesting discussion we have about making games like this that aren't inherently fun, and you know how it did for him, and is this viable. So 
going back to more developer-focused talk, I have some other guests lined up in the future. If you guys have anyone in particular you want me to talk to, just let me know on Twitter. Let me know over email. And before you listen to this, it'd be awesome if you would go to iTunes and just slap a rating and a review on it. That always helps. The more people listen to this, the better for me. That's awesome. I, I want to. I, I will continue to do this, but it also helps if more people are listening. Uh, it'll push me to, to keep doing this even more. And you know, if, if people can see it's doing successful, we can get even bigger guests. Maybe we can get Jamie Fox because he was just on uh, that EA press conference. That's 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 who we're looking for. Those those Jamie Fox fans. So, thanks again. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I will be talking to you soon. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the 1099 for the week of June 13th, 2016, E3 week. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the creator of I Get This Call Every Day, which is now officially on Steam, David S. Gallant. David, how are you doing today? I am doing very good. Uh, sweating like crazy in this apartment <laughs> and uh, uh, regretful that I decided to launch something on Steam like the week before E3, not realizing that the news cycle was just going to be like every other like major leaked release or pre-E3 announcement uh, and just getting buried. Yeah, you'd assume that like right before E3 is when you're safest because everyone's holding their stuff right off. But it's just been a leaky ass E3 so far where everything is yep. just left and right. Like uh, we're recording on a Sunday and the uh, EA press conference is about to happen. And the Titanfall 2 trailer already came out. That's everywhere. Yep. FIFA has a story mode, apparently, because, you know, that makes sense. And it's just <laughs> a little bit of everything going on. So oh, yeah. I, I do think and I always subscribe to the fact that, like, there's no good time to release a video game. There's oh. always something going on. Absolutely not. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't going to be ready. I mean, I probably... I probably could have launched it like the last week of May, but there was still a lot of last minute stuff. You know, I wanted to make sure things were in place and, you know, got some promotion there. Um, but I was looking at June and like, don't do it during E3 ever. No, oh, yeah. no, that week is off. And like late June, there's a thing. Folks will probably know what it is, but I'm not going to say what it is. Um, and so like th the first week of June kind of seemed like the only good spot unless I wanted to wait till like July and I didn't. Yeah. So yeah, it's, there's never a good time. Never a good time. And I think, uh, I, I again, usually believe that if your game is unique enough or has something to it, uh, people will find it. People will still talk about it. There's still people who are going to play the game and yep. uh, buy that game. And I think your game hundred percent falls in that category of being different. How does it feel? to be done with I get this call every day after spending I, I, so many years attached to it. I really wish I could say that I was 100% done. There's still, <laughs> so, I mean, there's already, there's some, some bugs that have come up on the forums that I, I need to look into. Uh, and that's, that's probably what I'm going to be doing right after this podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, there is a Linux version done that's available if you buy it from Humble or Itch. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing that integrates it to Steam doesn't fully support Linux as of yet. So I'm working on that, trying to get uh, you know a Linux and SteamOS version and also a Mac version. And my, my hang up there is hardware. I don't have a Mac. I don't have anyone I can borrow a Mac from. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to find a solution there. Hopefully I will have a solution within the next month or so and have a Mac version because there was a Mac version available before. And, you know, I want to make sure that the Steam, you know, people on Steam get, you know, whatever platform that they have it on. Yeah. I would just assume though, even though, like you said, there's still, there's still stuff to be done. I mean, now this game is out. I mean, it's, it's version like 1.1 at this point. Yeah. Version 1.1. And yeah, you know what? There is a certain amount of relief. Like it, I finally at the spot where I can kind of focus on what I want to do next, which, um, you know, I was kind of in a similar headspace after I got fired for, for making the game. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't think I was going to keep working on it for so long. I, it's tough yeah. because when you've, when you've got done something that's gotten so much attention, you kind of get really paralyzed by, how do you follow up on it? What do you oh, do absolutely. next? Like, do you try and meet expectations for what this thing set? Do you just do whatever? And are any of your ideas ever going to be as good as this thing that people really glamped onto? So, uh, it's been a lot of self doubt, a lot of tossing ideas around in my head. And, um, and even then I get this call all every day. Won't go away. Like, um, boss fight books. They're, they're taking pitches and I am thinking about doing a pitch for that. 
Oh, you know, because I think uh, I, I, it's it's a weird story around this thing that I made that I would uh, I think would make a pretty compelling read. Yeah, and if people don't know at this point, I mean, I get this call every day. Uh, it's based off of your real experiences at a call center, and like you said, you were fired from your job because of this game. Uh, That's right. So, I mean, you think of a call center; it's not the most glamorous position in the world. But what about your day job made you want to create a game around it? And what sort of development experience did you have coming into this? I I had very little development experience um, before I get this call every day. And even, even now, I still am, am pretty amateur. I don't have a computer science degree. Like, I have an English degree uh, that I thought was going to, you know, get me into a teaching position that uh, I just kind of abandoned. And um, so all my programming skills are a combination of self-taught and... Uh, uh, from an internship that I had back in uh, 2011, 2012 at a local uh, studio that made flash games for, uh, you know, TV shows and stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, Teletoon would contract him to make, you know, a quick flash game for uh, TV for a particular TV show. And, you know, he would do something like that. And, you know, so that guy, you know, you graciously took me in once a week. I, uh, you know, helped him out with some of his website stuff. And at the same time, like he would teach me how to do some flash programming. And, and between that and just sort of like looking up a lot of stuff, uh, you know, looking at a lot of documentation and, and just playing around with stuff on my own. Uh, that's kind of what I went into. I get this call every day with was this sort of, um, very on the fly, very little background uh, in in sort of game making or even making something of that scope. And I get this call every day isn't very big, but it still was it took me four months to make, yeah. you know, in, in terms of writing the story, recording all the voice work, programming the engine and uh, and packaging it all together into something that could be like purchased and downloaded and run. Expectations have to be a weird thing when you're making something like this, when you're you know making a game about, again, you know, being in a call center, doing your daily job. You have to wonder, like, how are people going to see this? How is it going to do in terms of critically, in terms of just the attention to go overall? So when you were making this game, did you expect people like NerdCubed and Yogscast and other popular YouTubers to play your game? And what about I get this call every day in your mind makes it effective for videos like this? And like you, you look at I think I was talking to uh, the creator of Escapegoat and Escapegoat 2, and he was mentioning um, that he's looking at. You don't want to make a game just for the fact of like, hope this is streamable. Like, I hope this is something that, you know, people will play. But you have to at least yeah. think about what about this can I maybe tweak that doesn't compromise the integrity of the game. It might make it a better mm. game, but also makes people want to play it on videos. So what about your game does that? So I, like expectation wise, I really didn't think this would resonate with a lot of people. I was expecting to maybe make about $20 off of this $2 little game. And um, like, Geez, like within the first hour of sales, it surpassed that, <laughs> which I don't know. I, like the fact that it, people still are interested in it, people make videos about it, um, like all the way from the Yogg's cast to people just starting out streaming who think this is funny. And I do not understand how people think this is funny. I do not understand how people say I get this call every day as a comedy. I oh, sorry it, to interrupt you. I know I was looking at videos before this podcast and I was seeing people like laugh about it and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't. Where is this coming from? Exactly. It is. It is tragic. I am sorry. Yeah. It is like existential tragedy to me. And um, but hey, you know, like the fact that people do see some humor in this situation and. And, and there, there is a bit of catharsis that, that I'm noticing. I wouldn't have expected it, but I get people who have worked in call center positions, which I'll be honest, that was one group of people I never thought would relate with this game at all. Yeah. I thought people who work in those jobs would never want to touch anything resembling their actual work experience. But what the feedback that I get from these people are that they are glad at least that it exists. That they have something they can show other people and say, this is what I go through. And, and they're just glad to have someone have expressed it in a way that, that perhaps they, they, they never thought of expressing before. And it just blows my mind, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's a certain camaraderie with it where I was a, you know, a food server at a restaurant for three years. And while I never want to do that again, there's something almost relieving about just discussing it with other people and complaining about it. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's at least 
some value in knowing that other people have have shared your experience yes. you know that you were you weren't alone and i guess there there is some of that that connects to it but i mean in terms of people streaming it i think half of it is just for the way people react to it i mean it's it's a game designed to be frustrating and like going back to that yogscast video i mean the one thing i love about that video is that lewis i think it's lewis he he rage quits yep he throws down the headset and walks out and and I, I won't say I was trying to get it that far, but that's the frustration that I wanted to create. That's the emotion I wanted players to feel, and and the, that it's successful. And it, and I think that's where its streaming success comes from because you can hear that if you watch someone play long enough. If they get fired, you know they they start learning the boundaries of what they can get away with and what they can't. And you you watch that hesitation when a choice comes up where they want to say something rude to the customer or they want to just ease them through the question, but they know that if they take that path, there will be consequences. And and that is, that is literally the choices that you make every day in that job. And that's exactly how I wanted players to feel. So I think that's where, that's where the appeal comes from because you get to watch that reaction in a person. Yeah. And if you're listening, you don't know exactly what the game looks like and exactly what's going on. It'd be, it'd be definitely worthwhile to look up one of those different episodes, look up one of those different YouTube videos to kind of get an idea. Um, and speaking again to, to those different videos, what sort of sales uptick did you see after someone with, I, I think, the Yogscast video has over a million views at this point, something like oh, that. Oh, Yogscast is at 2.8 million. Yeah. I keep up with it. Absolutely. Um, I don't blame you. I think I do the same yeah. thing. So, like, I mean, <laughs> it's amazing the power of the YouTuber now. I mean, I am – it's strange. I, I, I feel like I should be around the age where that makes less sense to me. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around the strength of streaming, the strength of uh, people like uh, PewDiePie and stuff like that, but I mean, even more than press, even though more than an article on Kotaku, which there is one on your game. Uh, what what does something like these two videos do for you? It's like there there definitely was a noticeable uptick, both in like at the time the the game was on Greenlight, so there was definitely a very big uptick in votes. Um, Nerd Cubed, I think, was probably more responsible for for those than anyone else because he like Yogscast didn't directly link to anything. And putting a link in the video makes a giant difference. Oh, absolutely. People see a video, and if there isn't a link right there to support it, they'll probably just move on to the next video and not remember to to look it up independently. Um, but I mean, sales wise, like there was upticks, but not in a major way. Like mm-hmm. before the Steam launch, the game had sold about seventy five hundred copies okay. year to date. Um, so you know, you look at two point eight million views, seventy five hundred sales. Like there's not a very big correlation there. Um, like it is, even though it's a fun thing to watch, it is still something with a limited appeal. And, you know, I recognize that. That's, I never expected it to have a huge appeal in the first place, but I never anticipated it to have the appeal that it did at all. So, um, like I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. I, I could imagine. Uh, I mean, again, talking about how it's being spread. I was in the press for a long time, and I did a mm-hmm. lot of reviews for GameSpot. And a lot of what I would actually do uh, closer to the end is I very much, you know, I, I love indie games. I love these smaller projects that maybe people aren't talking about as much as I think they should. So I would uh, reach out to indie developers that have games that were either you know, recently out on Steam or about to come out. And kind of be like, hey, like, I'm interested in reviewing your game. I talked to my editor, and he gave me the green light. Like, can I review your game? And that's a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. I did back when I was reviewing stuff. But I mean, for you, it has to be difficult to find the right person to talk to, get that press attention, get someone to uh, review a smaller game on a major site. So, did you make a concerted effort to contact major outlets about reviewing your game, and what's that process been like? Yeah, I mean, I mean even when it first came out, I, I made a, a good effort to contact. I didn't, I didn't look so much at the big platforms, but I looked at people. I looked at games writers who wrote about smaller things, weirder things, and, uh, and specifically sent them copies of the game, you know, sent something to Lee Alexander, Patricia Hernandez, um, uh, like Maddie, Maddie Myers, Mm. not Maddie Myers, Maddie Bryce, sorry, who at the time was still sort of active in games writing. Uh, you know, I sent a copy to Kevin Van Ord, um, and I know, like, I didn't know Carol at the time, uh, Carolyn Pettit, but, you know, at, at some point she did contact me and I made sure she got a copy. Yeah. And she's a fantastic writer. So that's a perfect oh, person to give it to. Exactly. And, and it was, it was weird because I did a press push for the Steam release as well. 
And, uh, you know, I was going through like the contacts that I send it to the first time. And it's like, wow, a lot of these people have moved on or aren't writing about the same stuff or like, like, you know, Kevin and, uh, and Caro, you know, are both like, I know Kevin still does some stuff for GameSpot, but like he, he's, he's into actually making games now. Yeah, with, he's uh, moving. He's, he's, yeah, he's going to Belgium. Divinity. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. And, and, and I, you know, I'm so happy for him. Like he was. He was one of, uh, you know, the sort of the biggest voices in the, in the early days. You know, he, he didn't, he, he unfortunately wasn't able to write something, mm-hmm. uh, officially for GameSpot, but he was out there on Twitter, you know, promoting it and, uh, you know, gave me one of my first real good pull, pull quotes. And, uh, and, you know, and, and Patricia, like I was, I was sending it out to her, assuming she'd write something for, uh, a publication she was writing for as a smaller one called Nightmare Mode. And then she turns around and it ends up being a Kotaku, uh, piece. Yeah. And and I was not expecting that whatsoever, um, and that definitely helps. You know, getting getting Kotaku eyes on day one, uh, you know, definitely got way more sales than I thought I was ever going to get. But so it, it's been weird because you gotta you gotta personalize it to people. You know, like yeah. this is not a write a standard boilerplate press release with the incredibly addictive <laughs> franchise. You know, coming from Star Developer. Yes, it, it, you know, like. The email was weird, you know, if flat out said, hey, this is a short experience. This isn't very fun. I think because you've written about this, this might be something you're into. Uh, here's the thing, you know, here's where you download it to check it out. And uh, and that, that hooked some people, you know, like people were like, okay, this sounds different. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes now because like I did a lot of that same push for the Steam release. And I don't know if it's because of the, you know, how close we are to E3 or if it's just like, hey, this three and a half year old thing is coming out on Steam, who cares? Um, but haven't really seen that same attention, you know, haven't really seen people take the opportunity to say, hey, this came out. Yeah, hopefully there is more after E3. And I think it's one of those games that uh, people will kind of keep coming back to the, the actual recency of it. Sometimes it feels like a game comes out, people are excited about it for like a week, and then it just fades into the distance. I don't think that'll happen mm-hmm. with this. I think people will kind of come back to it and the coverage could come after E3. Uh, have the sales of the game so far made you feel comfortable moving forward as a full-time developer? Because as we mentioned earlier, you know this game did, did get you fired from your job. Mm-hmm. So do you think there is a healthy market for games of this nature that can keep you in this industry? I mean, if, if I was making more like I get this call every day, if I was able to put them out on a regular basis, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, reality is, uh, like the sales that it's doing right now on, on Steam, it's selling really well, but by my standards, not, I can't say compare it to like, um, you know, a new AAA release yeah. or even like a, a similar, like more, more easily marketable indie game, like a platformer, puzzle platform, that type of thing. Um, like what it's making now, and I know now is sort of like that early bump because I've got the front page exposure. It's going to, it's going to tail off, I'm sure in like a week or two. And it's not, it's not enough to sustain me. It would not be feasible for me to pursue this full time. Like right now I do have a full time job and it's still necessary for me to, you know, support my family. And, um, it's, I don't think there's enough of a market. And I don't say this because, um, I don't say this because I don't think, um, you know, people shouldn't make these types of games, but it's incredibly difficult to sustain yourself on smaller personal releases. Yeah. And, and I, I, I know that's a reality, but I also think that's a huge tragedy. It's, it's a bummer. It's and it's one of the again, it is a reality and it's one of those things that you, you wish you can kind of go off and follow the passion and, uh, maybe, you know, express a hardship or express maybe something you're really interested in through an mm-hmm. art form like this. Uh, but it's not even if it does get that much attention. I mean, your game get, got more attention than so many other smaller games, you know, of this ilk. But it's it's still not enough, unfortunately, to sustain sustain someone like you. Which uh, I was, you know, ever since I was like 16 years old, it was always you know full time games writing position or bust. It was always GameSpot or bust or Game Informer yeah. or bust. And I, you know, have spent seven years uh in writing and got to a certain point in my life where i was like hey uh if i really want to be financially successful or even stable the best thing to do is to have this as a side project to have this as a complement to something Mm -hmm. else full-time that i might not be super passionate about and it seems like you've currently kind of hit that same intersection where 
the thing you're doing on the side is what you love, but you also have responsibilities. You have a family. You have to support that. And I wish it wasn't like that. I wish you could go and do something successful like you did because this is a success mm-hmm. and be able to say like this is good enough for me to subsist on. Absolutely. And it, and it gets frustrating sometimes when you, you see praise – uh, for for games that do something different that you know are provide a more emotional connection to situations and the people who make them you know I look at developers like Anthropy and um, and I see just how much praise gets heaped on their stuff and how people talk about how important it is and, and yet these people are still financially struggling yeah you know we can say that these these works are entirely important but we don't have any sort of structure in place to make sure that they have the money they need to keep making them. And it's, it, it, it's, it's difficult to really say what I want to say about that because, you know, there is a certain amount of hypocrisy that I feel when, yeah. when that kind of comes up. But, um, you know, like, I, it'd be nice if there was like a, a minimum wage income type thing, like a minimum family income that could help for that sort of thing. But at the same time, like, if people think these games are really important, buy them. Exactly. And that buy them. it's complicated because you know I'm one of those people who talks about these games a lot and how important they are, but yeah, it's it's there's only so much a couple people can do to like try to spread that word and try to get that yeah. attention. And I I think right now game development is just about as healthy as it's ever been in terms of diversity and variety and what you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be kind of what we've kind of lost is that double a middle ground kind of area the the not massive budget almost kind of like thq kind of dominated that space where you get the triple a games you can kind of have everything in between and mm-hmm. there were the smaller games that are coming out in the arcade and that middle ground's kind of gone but we have so many interesting indie games and indie games that are big there's now almost indie games have their own category of the big indie games the I kind of see a, a super giant games release, and I, I love those games. Those yep. come out, and they're they're pretty big. They get a lot of attention, and then there's something uh, at the level of like Papers Please or something uh, smaller like your game. It, it's it's cool to see that and to see the depth of games right now. But mm-hmm. it's also just a bummer when you see the ones that you feel like should succeed that just don't make it. Again, to bring back up Ian Stalker, who made. Escape Go 2, he had that partnership with Double Fine, and I had him on this podcast. He's a friend of mine and had said, like, that game didn't sell well at all. Like, it just didn't. And he wow. was, like, outlining the reasons, and he was like, it really didn't. It wasn't until, um, I think it was Game Grumps or someone had played it, and he said then he saw sales increase tenfold. But he's like, at the time, with when it was released and how it was released, he, he said he's, he learned his lesson. It didn't sell well. And you're like, God damn it. A game that that's that cool and that many people get behind, and it still doesn't do well. So it's, that, it's wow. Yeah, that hurts. That, that, yeah, as I was talking to him, I was shocked. I've known him since he was making like Xbox Live indie games back on Xbox 360, where it was like yep. Soulcaster, and he's making a new Soulcaster, which is fantastic. But oh, that's right, he is behind the Soulcaster. Yeah, too. those games are great. And to mm-hmm, see, you know, mm-hmm. I finally felt like he broke through with a scapegoat uh, too, and it just didn't do that well. I mean, he's he's doing okay, but it just it shows you. No matter how much press you see about the stuff, or how many YouTube let's plays are devoted to it, uh, when you're taking a chance like this, when you're putting all of your chips in the middle and saying like, "This is what I want to do," and I think I have what it takes creatively, those don't always pan out. You hear a lot about the success stories, but you don't hear about the people who just don't make enough money out of from those games to support themselves, let alone a family. Absolutely, like this. I know people have complained about indie game the movie a lot, and and. I guess one of the complaints that I, I would share is that like there's no focus on on the the stories that of people who don't make that big success, who yes. don't get that big win, who you know, because it, it it's just like you say, it's a gamble. You know, you're rolling the dice every time and you can have every other factor right, but uh, you know, people say, Oh, just make a good game and it'll do well. It's even that. Like the greatest some of the greatest games have been flops. Absolutely. It, I mean, like Psychonauts is like a, like a double fine yeah. thing you look at where it's like everyone heralds this game. That game didn't make money. Not very mm-hmm. much money, not as much as it should have. And yeah, it's it's scary. And I don't think people realize how much it is. I mean, the studio I am the editor for now, uh, Tan Gentleman, it's all of those guys had come from like AAA backgrounds and decided and they all have families. They all have uh, people they need to support. And when they went indie, it wasn't just this small decision. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know what? Every Everyone's doing well with indie. We're going to try this too. <laughs> like, 
it's we were now 15 people but at the time i think it was probably about six guys who all had people they needed to support and they were taking a chance on this and following a passion so um, yeah that's a cool part that's what one of the reasons i really love doing this podcast is talking to people like this who have gone through this to spread that word um and i i think it's gonna be really interesting to watch what you do moving forward so for you, do you want to make something completely different next? Or do you feel games of this nature aren't being represented enough? And I think it's important to note, like, since you worked at a call center for so long, uh, you know that line of work inside and out. So you could make a <laughs> game like this. But you'd almost have to go down a different path the next time, correct? Like, I, I don't know if you could make, like, a sequel to this. It would have to be something different. People, people, a lot of people clamor for, for a sequel or more content in the, mm-hmm. in the existing game. And, uh, and like I even, there, there was a version of I get this call every day that I wanted to bring to Steam that I couldn't realize because it just me working on my own, um, at the time unemployed and then eventually like employed at a full time job. I just, I wouldn't be able to deliver in any reasonable time frame. And I just sort of had to lower my expectations, cut some ideas and bring it down to version 1.1. Um, like I, I probably do have enough, even, you know, three and a half years after the fact, I probably remember enough scenarios that I could do more of it again. I, I worried that it would dilute the message. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it would really be saying anything at all instead of just being like here's call center simulator uh with a few like limited calls like there's a limit to how much you can script and and sort of have as a narrative when you're having to record voice and and all that stuff yeah um and and personally like i want to move on i i don't want to go back to the call center either as a job or like mentally you know because i do i have to put myself there i have to relive that scenario to to get into the headspace to to do more of that there's um i'd I'd like to create a a bit of a different experience you know there's um i've always wanted to make something like yoda stories and i'm not sure if you remember what yoda stories was like um particularly so in uh early to mid 90s like around windows 95 era uh lucasarts released uh indiana jones and his desktop adventures okay and uh, a star wars version of it called yoda stories and it was basically like this top down uh, sort of point and click style adventure with a little bit of combat thrown in. And it actually had roguelike elements in that the, there was like set narratives, but the levels would, uh, would randomly generate. Oh, interesting. So, and they'd say like over 10,000 games, which, you know, it's just like how many different permutations there were on the boards. But, um, but it was just, it was a really weird mix of like a, a casual experience without, um, feeling like a casual game, you know, like there's a, there's a light story, simple interactions, a little bit of puzzle solving. And it was experience I loved going back to. And, you know, a while back I had been working on an engine for it. One of the games I had made at a game jam, uh, called apocalypse later was actually sort of my first attempt at That's making something name. in that style. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the theme of the game jam was the world didn't end or the world hasn't ended. Mm. And uh, so we made a little point-and-click adventure about Gary, uh, a child who lives in hell who is tasked with bringing about the world. And he's so lazy that um, each of the things on his list, he kind of skirts off or does a really terrible job and just kind of shrugs his shoulders and go, yeah, good enough. And in the end, the the world doesn't end. And so he just goes back to bed. And that's the game. And uh, so it was done in that sort of top-down, point-and-click style, still very amateurish. And mm-hmm. I was working on an engine to sort of make it a little better, but also be something that was extensible that I could make other games with. And so I'm probably going to start working on that again. Would you want to kind of, other than that, stay in this... I don't know if empathy is the right word for this, but I, I think your game is something that relates to a very certain group of people. Uh, and of course, anyone can play it, and I think they could learn a lot from it. But do you look at something like Emily is Away, and I'm not sure if you've played that one, um, but it's like an instant messenger kind of game where you're going through high school and college and talking to this girl named Emily. And if you were on uh, instant messenger back in like the two th- like early 2000s, it's like it really mm-hmm. harkens back to something like the right before MySpace period where people are always chatting. Yep. Uh, and it really like, oh man, it's it's a strange nostalgia for a very specific group. Could you look at something like that, or again, papers, please, 
and mm-hmm. kind of get inspiration. And, and do, do you think that's something you'd want to stay doing? Like, or is at this point, are you very much like, let's just make something completely different. Like, let's go on a completely different track. I, I still like making things that, um, that help someone. And I, I, again, I don't want to call it an empathy game, but I do like, um, letting someone live an experience that they might not have otherwise. Yes. Um, but I have to be very careful with that. Like I get this call every day was pulled from my experiences. Right. Mm. And the last thing I want to do is try doing that with someone else's. Exactly. I would love to be the person on a game like that where I'm just doing the back end programming, where I'm just like making the technology work and someone else is bringing that story, that narrative, that, that experience that they want to express. And I'm just enabling them to tell that story. I would love to do that. And I've, you know, I've reached out to people. I've got some friends that I've pitched some ideas to. And, uh, I don't know. We'll see how that works, but, um, I, I'd have to find another experience that I am very passionate about to, to want to make that experience again. I get this call every day. It came from a point where I was really burnt out in this job. I was very frustrated. I felt trapped and I felt like I really had to express that idea. And, um, I just don't have that right now. So I, I don't know if I have another experience in me that I'd want to communicate to people. Would you consider joining another team? You mentioned, you know, someone else's experience that you'd like to kind of go into the back end and help in that way. Would you consider if there's an indie group that said, hey, we need you for this, this, and this, would you like to do something like that? Or would you prefer right now to kind of have a little bit more creative control over your own thing? I, I would absolutely love to be part of a team to just sort of like, you know, to take some direction and be like, okay, this is what we need. Can you make this happen? Um, you know, my big problem is that I don't use a lot of the technologies that a lot of other studios use. Mm-hmm. It feels like everyone's using Unity these days, and Unity and I have this hate-hate relationship. <laughs> and uh, like, I work in uh, in a framework called uh, HacksFlixel, which is um, Hacks and OpenFL, which is based off of uh, Flash, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's you know sort of like cross compiles to pretty much almost everything. And then Flixel, which was the engine that um, I believe his name is Adam Saltzman, he created for Cannabalt. Okay, yeah. And uh, so it's a port of Flixel to that hacks code base. Uh, it's what I made. I get this call every day in. It's what I've made pretty much all my other experiences in. And um, and like I, I do – like I know enough programming that I could pick up a lot of stuff. But if, you know, if a team wants me in there and be like, okay, this is what we've got to do in this timeline, I'm probably a bad choice over someone who has like actual experience with the code that they're using. So, you know, it, I, I – if if there's a team that I could find where they're you know they're looking to use the technology that I'm familiar with or they're okay with me taking a bit more time to get up to speed on something, that would be great. And this is like a, a very deep and long question, so you can answer it at any depth you'd like. But I mean, <laughs> how much did you learn over this entire process from getting your game on itch to Steam Greenlight to the I know the humble store? And then finally actually seeing version one point one on Steam, seeing your game on, you know, valves network like what worked what didn't work and what would you do differently next time and again answer this to however whatever degree you'd like to but i think <laughs> at, in, at the very center of this podcast it's always been it was always an advice show whether it's for writers yeah. for youtubers for streamers for developers and i think you're a good case of uh this you know small game getting press attention and going a very interesting route to finally be released so come on yeah lessons and what would you do differently if you started to make a game tomorrow Oh, geez, we could go probably another couple <laughs> hours on this. Um, but yeah, so, and, and you're right. Like there is sort of like a comprehensive thing here, you know, like technology wise, you know, I learned a lot of tricks in terms of, you know, um, getting audio to chain together and, you know, uh, doing different things, um, in terms of interfaces and animation. And, um, you know, it, it definitely helped me explore the code base that I was working with and do things that I, I never really had done before. And, and, you know, so going into the next project, I have a lot more tricks that I can use to, to, you know, not just make things work, but also make things work in a way that's animated and isn't just, you know, like, let's move thing from X zero to X 10. Let's, let's move it in a fun way type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but like business wise, like, I, I worked at a call center that dealt with taxes, but I had never dealt with self-employed taxes. So oh, it's a whole new ball of game. Yep. 
Oh yeah, it is. It is not like just filling out your standard tax return. And of no. course, you know, obviously this applies to the Canadian income taxes. You know, we, we don't have 1099s in Canada, but <laughs> uh, you know, we have an equivalent, right? So good old T2125. That sounds like a Star Wars robot. That does not sound oh, yeah. like some sort of tax form. That is, that is the, that is, um, you know, the accountancy droid. Yeah. You yep. know, got yeah, a calculator right on the front. Oh yeah. Um, ah, T2125 is not so bad. It's, it's, it's what T2125 asks you to pay in, uh, in self-employed. Oh, don't even give me, I could go literally for another hour. Yeah, no, I, my first full year freelancing when I was like doing really well and going to a lot of sites, I remember looking at those, that form and like what they took and I was like, oh my God, why would anyone want to do this? Why would anyone <laughs> want to do this? This is a mistake. Give me a desk job. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely lesson learned the hard way. Uh, you start making money uh, in a self-employed manner, you better start putting some aside for taxes. You have to. Uh, you definitely have to, because I got definitely got hit with that bill, and um, you know, definitely learned how to promote myself. You know, how to talk to uh, uh, to various websites to to sort of get attention. You know, be per, you know personalize it. Focus on what makes the experience unique. Don't try to adopt the the press release language that seems so common uh and and make sure you have something playable when you talk to them do do not bother bringing anything to them unless you have something for them to actually interact with dealing with storefronts i get this call every day has been through uh i think at least six different storefronts <laughs> since it, it launched i started with a, a sort of ind- smaller independent company called Cellbox. Mm. They were sort of in the gumroad vein of you have a file, they have a very simple payment processor, it just spits out a PayPal transaction and they take a cut off of that. And um and like within the first week they started, you know, delivering bad file links to people and they said they fixed it and then it didn't fix, so it was like, okay, I got to find another solution. Uh, you know, then I went to FastSpring and they were okay. Uh, you know, I went there because it's like, there's like, yeah, 8% cuts, the lowest cut. And then I found out, you know, oh yeah, it's actually a minimum of 25 cents. And oh, on a $2 transaction, that's a lot more than 8%. Um, plus they, every time there's a transaction, they want like people's full mailing address, which is like a, a fraud feature. And I hope yeah, you can no, see me think the, uh, the air quotes there. And you know, like that's, that's where I was taking payments right when the major, the majority of the news hits. So you know, there was some fun customer dealings with that. You know, they would provide a link that would only work for three hours. So I had, you know, I, I slipped in a link in the email that's like, and by the way, here's a web page where you can download your per, your purchase um, beyond the three hours because, you know, screw temporary ownership. You, you should have access to it fully. You know, I had at least one customer get confused and say, hey, why hasn't my game arrived in the mail? Oh, and wow. Like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't work. Um, yeah, deal, dealing – Setting expectations for your audience was a big thing because because I got all that media attention, I got a lot of customers who weren't gamers. Mm-hmm. And and even now, I get this call every day, sells fairly well to people who wouldn't self-identify as gamers. Um, when I sell it at conferences, it appeals mainly to parents, specifically yeah. mothers, who are excited for the, fa- for the fact that they can put something in front of their game-playing children that shows them what adult life is like. Something that you don't see very often. So that's like a oh. success in its own right. Exactly. So I did, you know, and, and I love selling it in person. I love bringing it to conferences. I do have like a, a physical copy that I sell for $5. Comes in a very badly done DVD case. <laughs> uh, has a little zine inserted into it with uh, like I wrote like a couple extra essays and uh, did some art inside of it. So, you know, there's a special edition floating out there that's only available if you get to find me in person. And, um, and even that was an experience because you know don't don't rely on staples for your label printing, folks. No, get it get it get it done somewhere good. And yeah, so like you know, went to Humble eventually, and they like moved all my customers over to Humble, and uh, then then there was Itchio, and like as far as I'm concerned, I wish Itchio had been the first place I'd gone. Um, you know, they they have tons of respect for their. Uh, developers, they're always ready to respond to things. I'm not saying Humble doesn't, but Humble's a bigger company, and you know they don't have the same speed and and uh, you know and, and response time as as uh, Itchio does. And just Humble came around to it. Humble used to be if I want something done, like if I want to sale, I have to email them. Mm. You know, if I have a new product to to get online, I need to email them. 
And then I'd have to, you know, wait for someone to process that. Itch.io was just like, no, here's all the tools. Do it yourself. And, and I, I, I love it. I love it. I want to put a, I will put my, my game on sale for an, like, I want to change the price of my game to $200 temporarily. I could do that on itch.io. I could do that within seconds on itch.io. No you should problem. just to see, just to see what happens. Oh no, you 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 act like I haven't done it before. I have done. <laughs> did it did it sell? No, that's the thing. Well, that was the intention. I it's the thing I do every Black Friday. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of Buy Nothing Day. No, I haven't. Uh, Buy Nothing Day is a quote unquote holiday uh, started by uh, a magazine called Ant- Adbusters, or sort of like a counterculture. Uh, magazine and buy nothing day is supposed to um, keep you conscious of your consumerism by encouraging you to not buy anything on what is supposed to be the biggest shopping day of the year. Interesting. Okay. And so I sort of support that by uh, putting the game up at $200 and saying you are being financially disincentivized to buy. I get this call every day. Should you still want it? You will pay for it. But if not, I encourage you not to buy it during this period. And it's been, it's been successful both times I've done it zero sales. I've never heard of anyone oh. doing that before. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've, I've heard of people just like taking their stuff down or putting it, making it free or stuff like that. And I don't know. It's just, that's just what I do. And, uh, some people, you know, are okay with it. Some people call me a hypocrite for it and, you know, whatever. Um, and then of course there was the one time when, uh, you know, Rockstar, they did their whole make the game more expensive, but then put it on a discount during Steam sale and, uh, make it look like there's a discount when there wasn't. Oh, I've never heard of that. Oh yeah, that happened during the last holiday sale. It was very quickly, and they they changed it up or something. But basically, they raised the price on GTA Five, and then put it on a discount, so it was back to sixty dollars US, but it showed as being on twenty five percent discount. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was horrible. And of course, they got called on it immediately and changed stuff around, and they they they, they still did it, but with another another workaround. So what I did is I raised the price of I get this call every day to $200 and I put it on a 99% discount. So it's back to two. <laughs> Called it the new industry standard standard sale. Uh, is that so because your game is $2, is there part of you that like gets bummed out when you see all these sales going on? People talk about all their sales figures because you put your game on sale that it's like a dollar like because i know uh <laughs> I, people talk about all the time where they're like some of my biggest sales um disco dodgeball uh, mm-hmm. i know i had him on here the developer eric s Musen, and he mentioned like the sales are massive for him when it goes down from you know ten dollars fifteen dollars to something lower like do, do you do you ever just do half off sale now it's a dollar or is that just too little to have someone pay for your well- game I've I've done I've done some half off sales um during Itchio week which was uh, a couple months ago I had different discounts every day and it was like sometimes it'd be a little higher than the previous day and and just sort of played around with it and you know that got some good success um probably my most successful sale is when I took 2 cents off Really? Yeah, oh uh, it was just after the uh the buy nothing day sale and uh so it was at a time when um and and I didn't want to really talk about Gamergate too much, but it was at a time when uh, Gamergate discovered that I was intending uh, to find a way to figure out if anyone who had bought my game supports Gamergate and prevent them from getting a Steam key when the game launched on Steam. Mm-hmm. It ended up being an untenable plan, uh, and you know everyone, all my all the marketplaces refused it. But Gamergate caught wind of it. Adam Baldwin found out about it, tweeted about <laughs> it, fun. which is great love being targeted by adam baldwin it's awesome can't watch flyer fly anymore <laughs> and um so tons of people were telling me what, how bad this business decision was and oh actually this is fraud and and basically giving me a lot of bad advice so i'm like you know what let's put this game on for sale everyone's giving me their two cents i'm passing the savings on to the customer <laughs> and that one did well that one did very well right. so um you know i've put the game on for sale for a dollar uh, I've the fir- very first sale I did was for fifty cents, and that one surprisingly didn't do very well. Like it, it sold a lot of copies, but um, like I, it, it didn't like that that percentage, you know, that uh, that price versus the amount of copies coming in. It just wasn't enough to make critical mass. You know, it actually did worse than previous sales. So I kind of learned there that you know there there is a a lower limit. You don't want to make it too cheap because otherwise it's just not worth it. Absolutely. And was it 2012 when the game first started to kind of hit all the press and everything like that? So it launched December 21st, okay. 2012. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, David, that's a cop-out. The world could have ended that day. 
that was the end of the Mayan calendar. If, if it, that, the world ended, you would have been no fine. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> so I feel like since then, there have been a lot of games that people have accused of being not real video games. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Gone Home is the prime example of, you know, walking simulator stuff. But I, I feel mm-hmm. like as a culture, like a lot of a lot of people have become more accepting of games of this nature since then. But at that time, was it difficult to probably hear, I'm, I'm assuming, over and over again, this it's not a game chatter and a lot of like, this isn't this isn't worth our time. This isn't a real video game. Or did you always feel comfortable enough in what you were making that it never really bothered you? It never bothered me. I mean, I knew it wasn't the thing that a, a hardcore gamer would look at and say it's not a game. And even I, like, I know I've even in this conversation, I've referred to to a game a lot, but it's like I don't have a better word for it. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes refer to it as an interactive digital experience, but even that is just it's too big a mouthful. It's, too long. it's just a game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Like it's, I know it's not a typical game experience. Like it, it, I even state up front, you can't win it. You know, there's no winning it. And that's the point. So I've, I've accepted that. And I, I, I don't really think that's a valuable contribution to make. I think if you look at something and say, oh, that's not a game. And therefore it's not for me. You're missing out on a lot of stuff. You know, Hey, if it's not your type of thing that you want to play, great. If you're just going to dismiss it because you don't think it's a game, if you don't want to experience something that's not fun, eh, you're, you're you're probably limiting yourself there, and you know you you know expand your horizon. Fun is such a strange word for it too. I I remember um I think it was probably like four years ago I wrote an article about you know why games don't have to be fun, like it doesn't it's not necessary for a game to be fun in order to successfully convey a message or be mm-hmm. worth playing. And I got roasted. Like that was the first time I really experienced like true internet anger of people just left and right saying things and you know i've been writing for a long time it's not the end of the world if someone's yelling at me but that was <laughs> I, I i believed it back then i believe it even more now that games don't have to be fun in order to be successful in order to do what they set out to do again i think papers please strikes a balance where there is some fun yep. to it even though it's this you know in a sense this menial task that you wouldn't want to do and again your game isn't inherently fun but that's not the purpose of it it's not supposed to be like oh cool i just got a a streak after making sure this person <laughs> you know gives me the yep. correct address or name or anything like that or oh man i got a three times fired for my job streak let's call him the uab yep. like that's not the point of it <laughs> uh and I, I really do think that's fine and again looking forward uh, i i think you are now for for now. You're going to be known as the "I get this call every day" guy. I think you'll be able to take your experience from this and the success this game has had, and use it for your next release to be even bigger. Because you now have this pedigree. Again, I, oh. I I've talked to developers who have this past release history and they like Disco Dodgeball, uh, where I'm like, now you're that guy because you got that press. So, yep. I what and we talked a little bit about what you're doing next in terms of updating the game and. You know, you plan on making kind of games to, in a sense, similar to this. But what really, in a perfect world, is next for you after the book is completely closed and I get this call every day? You know, you're still working your full-time job, but you're going to spend all this energy into a new thing. What What do you want to be that new thing? Because I don't want to spoil it. Like, If, if you have some announcement mm-hmm. planned in the future, I'm not trying to spoil it here. But, I mean, in a perfect world, oh, what, what do you want to do? I wish I, – I really wish I had something close enough to uh, – <laughs> close enough to just sort of like – come out and say it, but uh, like I, I want to make more point and click adventures. Like I want to, I want to explore that space a little bit. I want to work with people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, because one thing I definitely learned making everything myself, except for the music is that um, the kind of experiences that I want to express are very limited by my own skills. You know, with, I get this call every day. I leaned into my bad art skills to uh to make it look like that i you know i'm the only voice actor in the game because that's who was available and that's the time i could get and um i don't want to work alone you know i want to i want to work with people and i don't necessarily want to work on something of my own creation i want to help uh i want to help other people express their stories that's that ideally is is where i fall is not so much um this is the next experience by the creator of I get this call every day. It's um, this is an awesome story that someone else had. And I'm this name in the credit who helped make it happen. I get that more than, you know, again, like when I started this podcast, it was very, let's talk about writing stuff with me and my friends, but it became more of, you know, it's really fun 
telling other people's stories and like learning about how stuff came to be that you have never guessed. Mm. And again, uh, David, I, I think that your game is important and I don't think you will have that much trouble, to be honest, finding a group that understands what you did and hopefully bringing you on to bring another story like that to life. So if people want to find you and your game, what's the best way to do it? Uh, my website is davidsgallant.com. Uh, pretty much if my email address is there, my entire library of work is there. If you want to see what I've done, and uh, keep up to date with what I'm doing. Great. Yeah. And uh, I do hope that you get more coverage after the E3 craziness ends. Uh, <laughs> this will actually be going up tomorrow during some of the E3 craziness. But I probably oh, wonderful. I will, I will schedule it in a way that will not conflict with a press conference because I kind of <laughs> know what I'm doing, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but again, but it's a I, podcast. Like if, if, yeah. if you've subscribed, you'll get it eventually. Exactly. Right? So. That's the goal. Um, and again, I, I, I'm I'm super happy for you. That's it has to be insane just thinking like, man, after all this time, it's it's out there fully on Steam to you know, probably the biggest audience that it's been oh, around. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward to hopefully having you on again sometime to talk about whatever you're doing next. Uh, I would love to. Thank you. All right. Great. And thanks, everyone, for listening and hopefully tune back in next week for the next episode of the 1099. <laughs>